Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Essentials, written by the world's leading sustainable builders, designers, and engineers, New Society Publishers' Sustainable Building Essentials series covers the full range of natural and green building techniques with a focus on sustainable materials and methods and code compliance. From rainwater harvesting to composting toilets to straw bale, rammed earth, hempcrete, and more, these unique books present the essential information on each topic. Find out more about the Sustainable Building Essentials series at newsociety.com. All right, now today's episode is very important in that there's a limited window of time for those of you, especially in the USA, who care about natural building and want to see Cobb and other natural building materials legalized and approved by building authorities to help this to happen. An incredible opportunity is coming up in the last week of October, which is just over a week from now, when members of the Cobb Research Institute, some of whom you'll hear interviewed in a minute, will present a proposal for Cobb to be included in the ICC IRC code. Now that's the International Code Council International Residential Code, the governing body for building standards across the whole country. So to gain approval, the proposal will need to be voted on, and this is where you come in. This is your chance to call your local fire marshal or building inspector and voice your support that they vote to approve this measure, which would allow legal permanent cob buildings in the USA. Now you might be new to natural building, or you might think that you'd never want a cob house yourself, but if this proposal passes, it's likely to have a ripple effect for the approval of other earthen building materials and alternative building methods in the future for everyone. Now the guys from the CRI will give more details about how you can help to support this initiative, but if this is all you have time to listen to, just know that you can go to cobcode.org and get specific instructions on how to contact your local building official directly or to put them in contact with the CRI to help get out the vote on this potentially historic advancement for earthen and natural building. So don't hesitate. Like I mentioned, the vote will take place during the last week of October this month, 2019. So in this interview, I got to speak with John Fordyce, Martin Hammer, and Anthony Dente, who have been working for years to compile the data and engineering properties of Cobb in order to better understand the material and write the proposal to have it approved as a legal building material in the U.S. Between them, they answered a lot of questions about the advantages and limitations of Cobb, the tests and simulations they've done to get proper measurements of its performance, and what they recommend to builders who are considering using Cobb to build their homes. It was such a pleasure for a natural building nerd like me to get to talk to these guys who've worked so hard to get verifiable information on the material that got me to fall in love with earthen building in the first place. So from here, I'll hand it over to the team from the Cobb Research Institute. Gentlemen, thank you all for being with me today. It's such a pleasure to have uh, three of you representing the Cobb Research Institute all at once. We've got a lot of material to get through today as there's a, a, an important date approaching. So before we jump into the questions, why don't we give a quick introduction to everybody sitting with us here 
and a little bit about your background and your position with the Cobb Research Institute, starting with John Fortis. Yes, hi Oliver, this is um, uh, John Fordyce, and um, I'm basically the director of the Cobb Research Institute. My, my history is I'm an architect and experienced Cobber, and those two professional things led me to the creation of the Cobb Research Institute. Marvelous. Martin, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, thanks, Oliver. Uh, I'm an architect with a private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area for over 30 years, and I've been involved in sustainable construction for my entire career, which um, uh, with an emphasis on straw bale construction, and that, that got me into code development about 20, almost 20 years ago now. So I've, um, I've written, or I've le been lead author or co-author of a number of uh, appendices in, um, in national model building codes, uh, including this most recent proposal on Cobb construction. Marvelous, thank you, and Martin. I, I'm and an advisor to uh, the Cobb Research Institute, specifically around the code development. Great, and Anthony, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Hello, my name is Anthony Dente. I'm a licensed civil engineer in the state of California. I'm a principal and owner of Verdant Structural Engineers, and I'm a board member on the Cobb Research Institute and the lead engineer for the organization. Marvelous. Well, gentlemen, thank you all for taking the time to be with me today. And we're here gathered kind of for a specific purpose this time around. There's an important date approaching, as I mentioned earlier, and there are some proposed changes to the Cobb code that could go into effect based on the activity and the votes of people in the area of California. And before we get into more detail about this important date and what listeners can do to help make this happen, let's start with the, the very beginning and get people sort of comfortable with this material that we're talking about so that they understand what the importance is to begin with. So let's start by asking, what is Cobb? Uh, I've written articles about this myself, which are posted on the website, but straight from the people who have worked it, with it as a building material and its engineering properties. Uh, John, could you start by telling us what is Cobb, what can it be done for buildings, and sort of what advantages it has over other more conventional building materials? Uh, sure, Oliver. The, uh, basically, Cobb is a, a mixture of earth, sand, and straw with water, which is used to create a plastic earthen mixture that is then used to build walls and the advantages of of that is is that the it's, it's a highly sustainable way of building and it uses locally sourced materials uh, the the mixture is like adobe uh, but we don't make bricks we just uh, stack it up in layers on top of a a foundation and a stem wall to uh, to create the walls and the uh, the layers it's it's stacked up in layers and the layers are interpenetrated so that we agree we actually achieve a monolithic construction rather than mortar bricks like Adobe 
and it's just done as a sequence of stacking up the layers, letting them dry, and then adding more layers as the building progresses in height. And as I mentioned, the, the wall is protected from ground moisture by a stem wall and a foundation, and those are uh, either concrete or stone, mortared stone, or uh, broken concrete, urbanite. And then in the, in the construction of the wall, there is, uh, uh, originally it did not include reinforcing, that was provided by the straw, but now for what we've been doing, we've actually included um, actual reinforcing in the wall because it's needed for structural, I'm sorry, for seismic strength. And the rest of the building is uh, basically standard construction that is in the roof is wood and all the other elements are basically standard. And the advantages of, of Cobb is that it's low cost, low material cost, got a low car carbon footprint. The technique is very simple and it's really friendly to owner builders and it can that can remove with the owner builder, remove the labor costs, which can be as much as two thirds of the cost of a building. And the, beauty, the beauties of it is, is that it allows non-rectilinear designs um, and um, for me personally, the, uh, the, that this is a cure to what I call Cartesian madness, where, where we live in a world that is basically dominated by rectilinear construction and that affects our, th our thinking and cultural habits. And so Cobb makes, uh, makes possible a change from that. So those are the advantages. Could you also tell us a brief history about how this became used as a building material and especially in the Western United States where its implementation is fairly recent? Sure. The, the, well, the earliest evidence of Cobb is lost in antiquity because it erodes. Uh, and so um, the, the, the most recent archaeological evidence is the 11th century in Africa. And then we know that it's been used in Europe since about the 12th century and there, there are many forms in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. And uh, that uh, by the 15th century, it was an, a norm, normal part of construction in the UK, the uh, United Kingdom, England. And, and then it was widely used uh, uh, by the 19th century the 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 uh, use of Cobb declined with the uh, 1800s industrial tra and transportation revolution, and then with the development of building codes in the 1800s, Cobb was not included, and so its use became prevented. And the traditions then for construction died out. Uh, then there's been a resurgence of it in the 1900s in the United Kingdom, and in about the 1990s, an organization called the Cobb Cottage Company brought Cobb to North America, and they developed the early Oregon Cobb techniques, uh, and which is the basis of uh, of what we're using in the code. And I guess that 
aside from the development of the cob uh, organ techniques, the cob got spread in the in the north of North America by uh, cob cottage company workshops, and it, it gained popularity due to low cost and owner builder appeal. Uh, but because there is no code for cob in in North America or the United States, it resulted in outlaw building and uh, that's uh, where we are now. We have, we're attempting to solve this by creating a Cobb code to make it possible for a Cobb to be built legally where otherwise it's stopped. Yeah, it's remarkable for me to hear the, the history of this building material kind of summed up because especially the last part of what you were talking about, about how the Cobb Cottage Company sort of revived a version of this building material recently is pretty close to my own experience since that's the company and those are the people who I apprenticed with to start learning natural building myself and have since taken it to a lot of other places around the world. You know, though it seems like such an ideal building material for many different applications, it's, like you said, still not legal to build this way within the United States. Um, Martin, could you talk a little bit about the current state of Cobb in the United States and sort of how it's regarded or classified in the building world. Thanks, Oliver. Well, as uh, John and you just described, when when Cobb as a material and building system was brought to the U.S., it came from primarily the the area of the U.K. and other parts of Europe that are not subject to earthquakes. Um, so that transition. Cre created some some problems because those centuries of use uh, and and the building systems developed there uh, didn't have to uh, weren't confronted with these uh, what are called lateral loads lateral forces that are um, imposed on buildings from earthquakes and the and the material and system when it came to the to North America was primarily used in some of the western states uh, especially Oregon and parts of northern California so th th that was terrific that this really wonderful material and system migrated to the west coast of the United States but there were some inadvertent uh, consequences of that which is there there was incomplete or very uh well an absence of understanding of how this material in this building system uh performs when subject to moderate to high earthquake loads uh resulting in what we believe are some unsafe buildings uh in the western united united states we don't know the, the extent of that right now because there haven't been, um, been been very few moderate or high uh, high um, magnitude earthquakes in that these buildings that, that have, have been subjected to. So what we're going to find out in eventually, because uh, in the in the western states uh, we we know we will uh, that that. Um, High magnitude earthquakes will occur eventually, uh, but we uh, 
in in testing there there's a lot of the Cobb Research Institute has uh, facilitated testing to for this exact purpose to understand the capacity of Cobb wall systems with different types of reinforcing, including um, no no steel reinforcing, just using the straw itself as the reinforcing in the wall, but also with steel reinforcing. And Anthony Dente can talk a little bit more about this later. But um, as as John mentioned, because there is no Cobb code not only in the West Coast of the U.S., but anywhere in the, in the United States. Um, one of a few things happen. <clears throat> People, when they find out about that and the difficulty, not impossibility, uh, because there have been some permitted buildings, uh, permitted cop buildings, just a few, and Anthony has been involved in, in those. Um, but when they find out the difficulty in it, the time and, and cost it, uh, involved in getting a permitted uh, Cobb building constructed, they they do one of a couple things. They don't build with Cobb, uh, or as John mentioned, they'll build an unpermitted building that could be unsafe because there's no inspection process or plan review. Uh, or And then sometimes if, if buildings are built without a permit, that building is discovered uh, event, uh, later on by a building official or a neighbor uh, and and that it causes a huge problem for the building owner because in there's one case in particular um, in the San Francisco area where that where a cob building an unpermitted cob building was discovered and that owner had to um, go through very challenging process of having the building uh, made seismically safe uh, as a retrofit. So, so that's, for all those reasons, the Cobb, uh, ha having a Cobb code is uh, very important for, for anyone who's interested in building with this earthen uh, building system. And, um, and I, I also wanna mention one other, um, earlier John was, talking about the, you asked, and John was talking about the advantages of Cobb. One important advantage that he didn't mention is that Cobb as an earthen building system is highly fire resistant. Uh, it's been used for centuries in kilns and ovens, as that's a, that's a testament to how, how well it performs uh, in, in, in fire. It, it contains fire in, in kilns and, and ovens. Um, and that's especially important uh, in Western states in the U.S. that are that have been subjected subject to increased intensity and frequency of wildfires. So rather than building with wood frame, which is the predominant residential method of construction in the U.S., uh, especially after a after a, a, a wild a wildfire, some which have have decimated entire uh, cities uh, in, in California in particular, um, that rather than build with, with wood, again, uh, a, com a highly combustible uh, material and system using an earthen system like Cobb uh, make, makes a lot of sense. So along those lines, I know you mentioned that people would either be deterred from building with Cobb at all or 
perhaps just build unpermitted structures. And I'm wondering if, since so many people have gone ahead and built without permits, I've been involved in some of those projects myself during my education and workshops along this. And um, it seems like there's there's sort of a counterculture that that tends to use this material at the moment and may not want to have this come into uh, government hands where there would be tight regulations and dictations about how they can or cannot continue to construct with with earthen materials. What would be the incentive for those people who are kind of on the fringes of what's allowed by building already to to get involved with uh, perhaps a more oversight of their projects? Um, that's a good question, Oliver. And there are pros and cons one could say about uh, about a building system or material being governed by building codes. Uh, but in my experience, the the advantages far outweigh uh, the disadvantages of having a, a code approved building system. For one, uh, in code development, those the codes are they're vetted through a process, through an open process, uh, and there's input from many knowledgeable design and building professionals. Uh, so it it ensures that safe construction will occur. So that I mentioned that earlier that we we're, we we know of or are fairly sure there are a number of what we would consider unsafe buildings that have been built and are have dotted the landscape. So that's one important advantage. Uh, there are others. Uh, well, people, if 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 you're you're building a structure to know that it's unpermitted and and uh, uh, you can, maybe if you if you want to use the term illegal, but let's let's say at least unpermitted, <clears throat> just the the anxiety that that may cause an owner that the building may may be discovered and have to be torn down there are, are buildings that have been discovered and 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 were required forced to be removed so just removing that anxiety from from a homeowner uh, but there are other uh, important issues too like insurance or um, uh, or, or or potentially um, uh, if if a if a loan a, a home loan was required, so the, the the lending industry and the insurance industry are very averse to uh, the construction of non permitted and non code approved buildings. Anthony, do you have something you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I, I have a lot of experience of uh, uh, performing structural observations and uh, assessments of existing structures, non-permitted cob structures, and um, there's two two points that are I think are important to the question you asked. One is that uh, it's easy to look at the building codes as uh, I may mean, quote unquote uh, bad guy or or uh, you know uh, bureaucratic system trying to rain down and 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 tamp good ideas. Uh, though there are, a, as Martin said, uh, a lot of qual benefits to the building code and oversight on all aspects of construction is one of them. Um, one thing I find the most is that uh, these uh, unpermitted cob buildings are often built by high quality cob practitioners or, um, in, in many cases, um, though because uh, 
the, the craft of these builders uh, tends to be Cobb, they uh, aren't as educated in, in foundation, roof connection, uh, roof diaphragm, which is the earthquake system that helps connect the top of the building uh, together. Uh, these uh, Building these aspects of the building uh, can be quite simple um, and not that expensive, uh, but when you're not um, uh, kind of forced to uh, look at the literature on those topics, it, you can easily miss one step or two steps. And in structural engineering, we talk constantly about load path. And when one link in the chain of load path is disconnected, that load's not going to make it down to the ground where you want it to rest. And I think the other important uh, point to your question is that just because there may be a building code uh, for a material, it doesn't mean that people um, who maybe would have gotten away with building without a permit before can't still attempt to take that route. Um, it's illegal in most places um, around where, uh, where I practice, but um, people still uh, build uh, illegal or unpermitted wood structures or, or other materials. Uh, so uh, this wouldn't stop people from doing that. It would just make a, a, a widely open the door for those um, who are prohibited from building, be it, whether it's insurance or whether it's uh, legality or just concern for safety. And I would imagine, too, that having Cobb just as a, a general building material, not having a way to to or a path towards legalization or permitting is probably holding it back quite a bit from innovation and continuing to improve because, you know, much like um, uh, medical marijuana was a handful of years ago for a lack of access, uh, not only for use, but also for study is going to hold it back from sort of advancing along with the rest of the technologies that we use for building. And as a couple of you have mentioned already, the applications are extremely relevant to the context, especially where you guys are in, in California with seismic issues, with forest fire issues, and the fact that this could potentially perform much better than what is already on the books means that there's a lot of potential for uh, where this could go if legalized. Now, Along those lines, let's switch gears for just a second and talk about how the Cobb Research Institute comes in and the type of work that you have done collectively, because I know there's a larger team behind this as well, in order to try and study this material in order to get the engineering specs and the information needed to, to bring it to the coding and permitting bodies. John, do you want to take it from here? <laughs> That's a big question. Uh, the Basically, what we've been able to accomplish so far, once we learned to function as an organization, we have uh, been conducting tests. Uh, we did tests with uh, the um, Santa Clara University, with uh, Quail Springs in permaculture, and that was Anthony doing out-of-plane testing. And then we did some thermal testing to establish the R value. So all of these, these tests have given us enough information to begin to write the code. And uh, once we get the code accepted, then we will have accomplished a great deal of, of what we need to do. But we're not, we, can't, we won't be stopping there because there's 
one of the things that we've discovered in the process of writing the code is, is that there's a lot of information that we still don't know. And so there's going to be uh, additional research that is needed. Um, so, uh, you know, we're partway there, but we have a long ways to go still. So with, like you said, this is a, a much larger topic because so many different tests and analysis need to be done on this material and many of which uh, are still to come. Tell me a little bit about the necessities of the material to be accepted, starting with the structural necessity, how it can uh, bear weight. How have you been able to test the structural stability of Cobb? Well, we've had the opportunity to work with uh, a number of different universities and, and there's also uh, testing bodies uh, and um, university members, graduate students uh, beyond CRI that are, are doing and have done quality testing, though the total volume is still quite low. It's, it's uh, not a proprietary product or it's quite difficult to make into a proprietary product. So the, the funding for research is low and uh, therefore there is a small amount of it because of that. And uh, though we've uh, had a, a great opportunity to work with the University of San Francisco, the University of Santa Clara, uh, Cal Polytechnics University uh, in San Luis Obispo, California. And we've uh, conducted both small scale batch tests and also full-scale um, in-plane, out-of-plane loading tests. The, um, to, to answer your question specifically about gravity loads, this is the material strongest suit. It's a compression-based material quite akin to concrete, um, and which is, uh, you know, its strength is in compression and there is uh, a reinforcement mechanism added to it to increase its tensile strength to allow it to bend. Uh, and move in other ways. Um, though we find consistently uh, that it's, it's, um, it's almost difficult to reach, um, you know, slenderness is an issue and we could get uh, quite involved in talking about uh, the slenderness limitations of, of Cobb. Though um, right now at the, the way the research stands, we, we strongly recommend four foot wall sections um, and uh, minimum minimum thickness based on height, uh, which is contained in the code. Uh, though, if once you're uh, th those recommendations are not just involved with uh, uh, with compression loading. There's uh, there's lateral loading consideration in those recommendations as well. And it's, it's normally when you're considering all the actions of the building, uh, compression is, is not where the material is tending to fail. It's, it's because it's compression based, it's, it's, it's bending capabilities that are, are limiting it, um, limiting its function. So what is that addition that is being put in the walls to increase the tensile strength of the material? That's a good question. Uh, Marty uh, spoke to this, and, and so did John a little bit earlier, but uh, the natural form of the material, the base form of the material, uh, uses straw as a uh, biofiber micro-reinforcing system, and the uh, concrete, uh, codified concrete construction has a microfiber uh, reinforcing option. Um, they uh, typically use uh, metal uh, metal microfibers. Uh, here, we're obviously using a, 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 a agricultural product as the microfiber. But as we all know, straw has tensile capability. And as some of us know, but others may not know, 
clay is a magical material that wicks water away from most other things it's in contact with. So we've had the privilege of um, being present when uh, 100 plus year old cob buildings have uh, been opened up for various reasons. And you see the straw looks like it was picked the day prior. Um, it keeps its, its material integrity. And so that tensile uh, micro reinforcing capacity that's offering is, uh, stays present throughout the building's life because of that function. That being said, we have found, especially in high seismic zones, that a stronger reinforcing system is required uh, in a, most locations uh, that we design in on the Western states. And so other forms of reinforcing, steel reinforcing, uh, we're, we're finding that mesh reinforcing systems mimic the the uh, distribution matrix of the straw and and the general low strength of the material. Cob, cob is low strength, but the walls are large. Um, so when we use steel meshes, uh, they, they interact the best. And whether that's horizontal or vertical mesh, depending on what your objective is or what, what your primary problem is for the shape of your building and its location, um, we're finding that you get a lot of bang for your buck um, when when you make simple steps of adding uh, the right kind of reinforcing, uh, non-straw so, non steel or other forms of reinforcing. Like you said, this is probably key in areas with bigger seismic loads or the danger of really hard shearing winds. Let's talk about some of the other properties that have been noted as an advantage to Cobb as well. Specifically, its inability to burn is a non-combustible material. Tell me where that comes in and how you've been able to, to measure that. So, yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, and um, well, you, you also, Oliver, that, um, that, that is one of Cobb's strengths. It's, it's high resistance to fire. Um, and there have been tests uh, in different parts of the world, some in Australia come to mind, uh, on either Cobb or similar materials like Adobe or other earthen materials. Um, so there's, there well, and there's lots of anecdotal evidence. There was a, um, in there have been many bushfires in central Australia over recent decades, uh, catastrophic fires, not unlike some of the ones that have been experienced in the Western US recently, where uh, all buildings have been destroyed all, all wood buildings have been destroyed but where where a cob or um, or more often an adobe structure other earthen structure has been subjected to the same fire it's the only uh, building or building element that is left standing everything else is incinerated so we have anecdotal evidence such as such as the performance in actual fires and some testing some t uh, done to rigorous testing standards, but there hasn't been a, a complete uh, fire test that uh, for a cob wall that any of us are aware of. We don't think it's, it, it exists. Uh, and in the, in the process of uh, developing or, uh, go, or going through the code development process, there are some there are rigorous or um, explicit standards or testing standards that are required in order to assign, for example, uh, what's known as a fire resistance rating. 
so there are different lengths of time, one hour, two hour, four hour, uh, for example, where the, the, the assembly, the wall assembly passes a certain uh, test. And, and so because that uh, test hasn't been performed and that test, that, that type of test is quite expensive, uh, in the code proposal that CRI recently submitted in the International Code Council process, uh, we, we um, proposed a, a one hour fire resistance rating for, for a cob wall, which is very conservative to what we expect or know from other, from some of the, the partial testing, I'll call it. Um, and that was that was there was an, an, an yeah an analysis was performed by a fire science engineer and <clears throat> university professor, so we had it uh, quite um, well analyzed uh, and made what we thought was a reasonable proposal. But uh, because of the strictness of the in the code requirements for the testing, uh, that that um, uh, that assigned fire resistance rating was uh, was either the uh, pr primary or maybe even the sole reason that our code proposal in May was recently disapproved. So uh, there's a um, another uh, code hearing coming up at the end of the month, which you alluded to in the at the beginning of the program. And that's uh, in, 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 so we've made revisions to the code proposal to remove that, um, that one hour fire resistance rating. So it's, so we, we expect with that change, um, there's a good chance that the code proposal will be approved. Um, and, uh, and even without that fire resistance rating, uh, a COB, the COB code that we, that's uh, being considered uh, is still very very useful because in most residential construction there is no fire resistance rating required. It's only when a building is very close to the property line, for example. So it's still a very valid proposal, but it's also ironic that um, we this uh, revised proposal includes no fire resistance rating for a, a wall system that we know is highly fire resistant. Uh, and so, but but that is something that we plan, that CRI plans to do in the near future to subject a cob wall to one of these. Uh, uh, ASTM is the, is the testing body or underwriters laboratory is another one that we could do, but subject it to a test, um, uh, subject to uh, us obtaining the funding for it uh, and, and find out uh, exactly how fire resistant uh, a cob wall is, but, but we, we're expecting a very high rating, probably at, at least a four hour rating, which is quite, quite high. And it, it's not, um, um, it, it's, it's, uh, wouldn't be surprising because it's a, it's a non-combustible uh, wall system, but it is, it, a part of the test is also it being subjected to a fire hose, uh, so it has to withstand that, that impact uh, and, and, and that's, um, and that's why these tests are required because you, we all want to be sure that these, uh, these building systems are safe in, in these conditions. 
Yeah, of course. It's funny, though, that uh, the area in which it's likely to perform the best is the one that has held it back um, when there are other things that, you know, are a little bit more difficult to test. Like you said, these are all made of non-combustible materials, so it should perform just fine. Now, let's talk about one of the areas in which it gets a little bit more complicated. In the regions that we've been talking about, the seismic danger, the, the fire danger are prevalent. But for example, where I grew up in Minnesota, it's much more of an issue of uh, thermal or insulative properties of the wall system. Now, John, would you like to talk a little bit about how Cobb performs as a thermal structure? Because it's not as simple as many people are familiar thinking about it as as insulation. It works as a thermal mass, and that comes with its own complications. Could you explain that a little? So uh, thermal performance is a function of two things, uh, mass and thermal resistance. So Cobb is terrific in terms of its mass. It's a high mass wall system. Uh, it's not very good in terms of thermal resistance for the same reason. It's a very dense material. It does have straw in it, which is it has uh, good good resistance actually. Uh, straw bales walls, for example, are highly um, have great thermal resistance. Um, but overall, the matrix matrix is is dominated by the mass, and so um, it has. Uh, it's 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 challenging in terms of being a good thermal resistant uh, wall system, and challenge it's challenged in meeting uh, building code requirements, existing building code requirements in virtually every state, especially in in the colder climates. You mentioned Minnesota, where um, the mass is is more important in hotter climates. Um, it does have some value in colder climates as well, but it's thermal resistance that's most important in the colder climates. So it, uh, in, in the code proposal, the, the Cobb wall is designated as what's called a mass wall system. And that's, that's good because it, it there, thereby has lower uh, thermal resistance requirements, um, but it's still challenging uh, other mass wall systems have a similar challenge. Um, uh, brick wall systems or concrete or concrete block, even log homes are considered a uh, mass wall system. Uh, they all have the, uh, the same uh, challenge or other, other earthen wall systems like rammed earth or adobe or uh, earth bag. Uh, so one solution is to add insulation to the exterior of the building and even wood frame buildings a lot that's being done quite a bit recently to improve the thermal resistance of a wood frame structure uh, and there are different ways to do that and there are some materials uh, that are would be especially appropriate for a cob wall that are more uh, environmentally um, friendly so there's there's uh, rock wall insulation so so not uh, insulate or, or there's some cellulose based insulations. There's a new generation of insulation boards that are not petrochemical products. Uh, so, so there are possibilities, but that's something we're just getting into uh, exploring. Uh, uh, and, and that, that is allowed in the way the code proposal is written, that type of solution is allowed. Uh, another 
possibility is to change the mix of the cob itself. So maybe more straw uh, or to change the aggregates. So instead of sand, use other types of aggregates that are, have better insulating value like uh, lava rock or pumice or perlite. So uh, John is, uh, has, um, maybe John, if you could speak to that a little bit. You, you, uh, you've been working with that uh, very recently. Uh, yeah, well, I just started uh, some um, some samples to be used with various mixtures, uh, the materials you just mentioned, lighter weight aggregates to to um, basically lower the density of the of the uh, the cob and thereby improve the the thermal resistance, and um, as is the case with uh, the other tests such as thermal, uh, this testing is pretty expensive and so we're kind of on hold with it at the moment uh, because we just don't have the funding to pursue it. Um, I, I know that there is in England, the University of Plymouth um, has been doing uh, experiment with a, a project called Cobb Bage. Um, Bosch being the French word for cob, and and to increase thermal resistance of of cob walls, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what what they're going to um, propose or will have coming up with their testing to see if 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 there's any of that is stuff that we can use in future work with the 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 um, our our code work our CRI code work we just have to wait and see at the moment fair enough and i was actually wondering because you guys have done some great work and research along these lines but i've also seen some advancements from other organizations i'm glad you brought up Cobb Bosch. Um, I've seen a lot of the experiments that they've done in controlled environments, the data that they've been getting from there. I know that certain seismic tests were done on a small cob building up in Vancouver, uh, Canada a while ago. Do you get this kind of information from a wide variety of sources or do you try and just uh, simulate some of these tests in-house in order to comply to what is uh, needed by these coding bodies? Yes, we uh, do our best to cast as wide a net as possible when uh, gathering information. Uh, any testing that's been done worldwide on the material is valuable to us. Um, the, we find because the um, there's a lot of complications with testing this material. Um, the, the samples um, appear to prefer to be slightly larger than concrete samples. The uh, full-scale samples can be incredibly heavy. A 7x7 seven seven wall system can be between 5,000 and 7,000 pounds. Moving that around in a university setting or a testing lab setting can be very difficult. Um, bringing quality practitioners to the site to build a material that only is uh, lifted eight inches per day can be quite difficult. I, I bring up these complications because most uh, tests um, of, of the less than 20 major structural tests that we've collected, you mentioned the um, British Columbia 
tests that they ran. Unfortunately, they never produced a report for that. Um, in uh, Sydney, Australia, they ran another shake table test, um, though unfortunately the shake table uh, was not able to shake to the magnitude of, uh, of failure. Um, and uh, there's, uh, as we learn as a community, a global community about testing Cobb, we learn, um, you know, what learning what not to do is as important as getting uh, values. And so there's a lot of that too. Though John, uh, I don't know if he wants to speak to this, but conducted a, a very wide search for information uh, all across the globe in, in an attempt to write a white paper on the current state of all research on all topics. And that proved to be very, very helpful. And that, uh, that was uh, over, I don't know, the past four or five years um, that went on. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's an ongoing project. I, I have a, a whole list of papers that I still need to go through. Um, as Anthony said, we did gain a lot of information from, from the original part of the Cobb, uh, research, Cobb technical white paper research, but it is still ongoing. And so with all of this information, as it's being presented to the permitting bodies, what would change for people who have either built with Cobb in the past, learned it through sort of informal methods, much like I have? Um, I know, Anthony, you had mentioned changes into what is recommended, things like perhaps four foot wall sections. Is I couldn't understand if that was a thickness rating or if that was a general size that you had used for testing. How does this differ from perhaps what the prevailing knowledge around Cobb building currently is. Yes, I'm happy to speak to that. The prevailing knowledge on Cobb building um, varies quite widely. Um, the, in New Zealand, uh, they have uh, what we consider the most robust earth and building standards nationally recognized. They're also a seismically active country and English speaking, which is beneficial to us on the Western United States. Um, there's also been an ASTM standard written on earth and wall construction, um, which was uh, mostly followed a lot of the same guidelines as the New Zealand code. Um, and then there uh, are many, many, um, some permitted, but mostly unpermitted structures um, uh, ac across the Western United States um, and across the globe. Um, uh, though I, I bring up all three of those because uh, you will find every shape, size, um, format of, of wall lineup, of wall sizing, of, of window spacing. Um, having very large window uh, cavities with very thin columns of uh, straw only cob uh, is uh, not advisable. Um, this is something that you do see in practice um, and it, that, it, that is a detail that the, the code um, and uh, people with current knowledge of, of testing um, and of building standards with the material would highly recommend against um, in, in any environment, um, but especially in seismic environments um, and high wind environments. Uh, foundations are another part of the structure that are often uh, built not to current code standards. Uh, I believe there's a lot of potential for research uh, on this topic um, it, of exploring ways to make uh, moisture uh, proof, environmentally sustaining uh, foundation uh, 
uh, isolating bases for Cobb structures. Though currently the in the United States, the uh, prevailing uh, permittable uh, foundation system is a concrete foundation system. We work closely with uh, decrease uh, intensely uh, trying to intensely decrease carbon input into our concrete mixes here uh, at our office. Um, at the, as you know, concrete can be quite carbon intensive. And there's a, a number of other little, you know, bells and whistles, connections to roof diaphragms. Um, what, how are you anchoring to the top of your uh, wall? How is that connected uh, to your roof rafters? Uh, simple clips, just metal clips, um, connecting that, those pieces together can, can add a continuity to the building that uh, uh, keeps one side of the building uh, far more securely attached to the other side of the building. And uh, that can be really helpful, but not always done in practice. And, and Oliver, this is Martin. I, I, uh, that's a very good uh, description from Anthony, and I'm, I'm glad he mentioned the New Zealand uh, standards for earthen construction, which are, are, have been really important in informing our proposed CRI's proposed Cobb code. Um, but I, but there's another uh, um, uh, answer that I want to or elaborate just a little bit. Uh, you. We, it was really important when, when we did the testing, the structural testing at Santa Clara University uh, to include what we, what we came to call the uh, common practice wall. Uh, essentially, the wall that's most, the cob wall that's most commonly built uh, or has been built over the last couple of decades in, especially in the Western US, United States and, and in other, there are other parts of the country. Um, so it, so the reinforcing was straw only. Uh, the, well, the foundation was a, uh, at least simulated a stone, a, a stone mortar, or a mortared stone foundation uh, with an irregular top to it. Uh, and, uh, and then a straw only reinforcement. Uh, uh, so a, fr a friction connection at the bottom where the, where the cob wall met the, meets the foundation. And then at the top of the wall, there, there were anchors into the, the bond beam uh, that we felt that that was necessary to, to get a, a fair result. So that wall was tested and it does have some capacity. It actually exceeded uh, our expectations, um, but, it's, but the capacity is still limited and, and would have very, uh, would be very challenging to use that type of a wall in a high seismic zone. Or if, if it were used in a, high, in a high seismic zone, you would need a, a long length of wall. So there's the, the capacity of the wall, its strength per foot, you can think of it that way. And then depending on the situation, you may need more or less length of that wall. Uh, and, and, and then um, uh, distributed in a balanced manner in the building. But, uh, but also, well, so that, that what we're calling this common practice wall would have fairly high applicability in, in almost all of the United States, because most of the United States uh, is a lower seismic, in, in lower seismic risks, at lower seismic risk, what, what we, what's called, uh, there are categories A through E, essentially. Uh, with A and B being the lowest seismic design category, and most of the most of the U.S. is in those two categories. So, so, um, so, th so th that's important to understand. But also, 
that um, it's not only the Western states that are subject to, to earthquakes. Of course, there's Hawaii. Not, it's not part of the contiguous 48 and Alaska. But, uh, but also, but there are other areas such as the St. Louis area, St. Louis, Memphis, uh, is it's known to be uh, vulnerable to earthquakes. There, there are uh, coastal uh, coastal parts of the southeast are have some seismic vulnerability. Even to, in, over recent years, earthquakes have have been um, known to occur in places that just haven't experienced them in recorded history. So things are changing. Um, although it's still the the California, Oregon. Washington, especially that are, and Idaho is another state that's subjected to, that is subject to uh, high seismic risk. So uh, I just wanted to lay that out geographically for the listener about um, expectations about the different wall systems and, and, um, and then relative to seismic risk, but, all, but also, I, and I think you mentioned it earlier, Oliver, there's high wind uh, uh, regions of the country in the, in the Rockies, uh, Rocky Mountains, of course, the, in any, any um, area of the United States that's, that's vulnerable to tornadoes or, or, um, or certainly hurricanes. So the, the, the high wind loads impose lateral loads not in the same way exactly as um, as earthquakes do, but the effect on the building can be much the same, where it needs to resist these um, these lateral loads. That 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, the building does not experience it, experience them. But when they when they the building does experience those loads, they need to be able to resist them. Okay, so. With all of these changes to the proposed code based on the information that you've been gathering and the collaboration with other organizations around the world, this is a lot of information for people to navigate, especially because Cobb has up until now mostly been worked with by owner builders and designers and people without perhaps the professional certifications to navigate these types of codes. Anthony, could you give us a bit of a summary of what is recommended in these documents for people looking to build and still be compliant to the proposed codes that uh, that are ahead. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, it, in a in a in a simple statement, it's it's best when buildings have uh, good boots and and a good hat, um, it, quality foundation and uh, appropriate connection and quality roofing system and diaphragm and appropriate connection. Um, that likely means um, ex uh, anchorage of some sort um, and aspect ratios of, of wall thicknesses to heights and wall lengths to heights are important. And we've uh, worked hard at laying out um, guidelines on recommended wall system makeups. And that is in the proposed code appendix, uh, which is a public document, and it's on cobcode.org, which is CRI's website. And I, I highly recommend, you know, it's a code document. Uh, not all of it's an easy read, but there are the charts that contain at least the wall makeups uh, that are very accessible to understand uh, the 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 general options that seem to be the main prevailing tested uh, wall systems that we have confidence in. Nice. And I know that you talked about 
Anchorage to the the foundations and then Anchorage up to the roof as well, kind of being the two most key aspects for structural stability with this material. I know that uh, getting it to to anchor to the foundation is probably the less difficult of those two things. What kind of anchorage system would you recommend to hold strongly to the roof in general? I realize that there are going to be variables with what people have access to as far as materials and techniques. That's a good question. Uh, it, I actually wouldn't agree that it's um, more difficult to anchor uh, to your roof system. Uh, most uh, cob wall systems that uh, we've been designing with commonly have wood as their top plates, which offers a, a, a flat wood system for a wood roof framing system to connect to. And then your roof framing uh, is a standard wood construction. There, there are many other material options, but just uh, they, they all can go off this analog where if you have a wood top plate, which is the term for the wood beam that would rest on top of a wall, uh, you would have anchors um, sticking down from that top plate, um, anchor bolts, uh, just standard uh, bolts that folks would recognize a half inch, five-eighths inch. Um, and these would be hanging down. You would likely build a shoring system. You don't need to. You could you could put it up in various ways. But ideally, you would build your cob wall up around these bolts, and, and then your top plate would, would be placed on top and, uh, and, and cinched down then with the nut. And uh, that's the most ideal way to connect a top plate or roofing system to the top of your wall. In terms of uh, compliance with the the proposed Cobb code, uh, if it, uh, it well, I'm not going to say if, but when eventually when it's uh, uh, approved and ultimately adopted, um, the the structural uh, compliance with the structural aspects that that Anthony talked a bit about is very important. It's uh, central to uh, a safe. A cob building is that it be safe structurally, and so there are these uh, requirements when when cob is used as a structural material that that are contained in the proposed uh, uh, cob code. Uh, but this, but all, but to expand from that, the this this proposed cob appendix, it's a proposed appendix in the International Residential Code, which is the national model code for the United States and can be used anywhere really in the world, uh, thus its name, uh, it's uh, with the word international as part of the name. But um, so this, pr this proposed appendix uh, requires that Cobb buildings comply with everything else that's in the International Residential Code uh, unless it's stated otherwise in this appendix. So this, uh, the appendix, it, it, it is prim it, well, it, it, it is about um, the use of cob as a wall system. All other parts of the building, so the, the roof system, the, the foundation, uh, windows and doors, electrical, plumbing, all those things uh, would need to comply with the, what's elsewhere in the, inner, in the residential code. Um, and, and so I, I just, to uh, frame it that way um, is important to understand. Yeah, certainly. Um, it's one of the things that I've tried to impress upon the people that I've taught in, in Cobb building and 
since I come as well from a conventional building background and got into natural building later, uh, I think it's it's very important to know that the same standards of building for safety and general, yeah, just general standards for how things are installed and the way that they function is not that different. Really, the only thing that changes a bit is the primary material that you're using to build, but the rest of those safety guidelines are there for very good reason and apply just as much to natural buildings as they do to conventional or industrial ones. Now, so with all of these things outlined and a good sort of summary of what people can expect to to look at when building with this material once it gets approved, can you talk to our listeners about how they can get involved? Because it is not yet legal or on the books to build with Cobb, but we're at a crucial moment here where it very soon could be. Uh, John or Martin, would you like to tell us about what the upcoming steps are? So this proposed appendix that uh, our CRI team has put together for the International Residential Code. And I, uh, in saying that, I want to mention that this proposal has had input from over 30 people, uh, design and building professionals who have experience with Cobb. So it's not only the CRI team, there are people that are uh, directly members of, the, of CRI, but many other uh, design and building professionals have had input. Uh, and we, and we, we're, we welcome input in the future uh, because uh, regardless of what happens right now with this code proposal, uh, building codes are living documents and they change over time. So we're, we're really interested to hear input from, from all sources. Uh, but the, this current proposal as I mentioned earlier, was unfortunately disapproved. That's the uh, yeah, was disapproved in May at the at the first code hearings, uh, and we we think it was uh, we well we know it was primarily, if not entirely, because of the the uh, fire resistance rating that I mentioned earlier. But we've made adjustments uh, in this next step of the process, which is the sec the second and final code hearings at the, uh, at the end of this month. We expect those hearings to occur on October 26th. And uh, the location is in Las Vegas. Uh, I, I will be there, Anthony Dente will be there and a few others to testify in support of the proposal. And in this second step, uh, the decision about approval or disapproval is made by building and fire officials. And that this is where uh, listeners uh, can help. Um, there will be a vote in, in the room at the hearings itself, a, a preliminary vote, I'll call it. Um, there might be somewhere between two and 500 people in the room there uh, voting on on the proposal, uh, but more importantly for listeners is there is, will be a subsequent online vote uh, approximately the second two weeks of November and building officials, building and fire officials from all over the country will vote on these, not only this code proposal, but all of the code proposals that are on the table. So, 
our CRI team has reached out to building officials that we know, and there's a campaign uh, to get out the vote, get out the uh, building official vote for the Cobb Code proposal. Uh, the best way for listener to do that is to uh, go to the CRI's website, so cobcode.org, and front and center on the homepage, you'll see a campaign, of, uh, the, uh, a link to, for the, regarding this campaign to get out the vote, and there's lots of information there uh, on how to, how to do that, how to help. And it boils down to mostly uh, people who, are, who feel this is an important proposal to them or, or others that they know to contact their local building official and, and encourage them to vote for the Cobb Code proposal. Um, they can, um, or the, the, the listener can uh, contact uh, CRI through the website and, and give us the name and contact information of their building official they can basically hand it over to CRI and we can take it from there. Or, or they can um, encourage the building official directly on their own. And how many votes are needed for this to get passed or, or to be heard? Um, at this stage in the process, a two thirds majority is required. So that can be challenging, but it is achievable. Um, it, there are about 30,000 building officials across the United States, building and fire officials, very large number. Uh, in practice, not, uh, uh, not a, a small percentage of them actually vote on these uncoded proposals. They're very busy people and they have a lot uh, on their minds. So uh, there are certain ones who are particularly um, focused on building code development and those are the ones who tend to vote. But any uh, virtually any building or fire official can vote, has the, the um, authority to vote. So that's where uh, reaching out or to, to, to your local building official could cause a building official who, or fire official who may not otherwise vote to, to do that. If they, if they hear that someone in their community is really interested in this, they're likely to uh, follow through and, and, and maybe cast a vote that they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, in, and in terms of the number of votes, even uh, historically, as, as few as 150 votes could, can cause a proposal to pass, to be approved. So compare that to 30,000, which is a very <laughs> formidable, um, uh, if formidable number, but in practice, as few as 100, 150 can make the difference. Wow. Well, that's a definitely positive message and, and likelihood for this. Tell me about why someone who perhaps either hasn't built with Cobb or hasn't even thought about it up until now might be interested in making sure that this kind of advancement to the code happens. Well, why, why would anybody want to have the, the, this become a reality? And it's basically because my experience with uh, the CRI has, since I got involved has been that because it's become known that I'm involved, people would contact me and say, I want to build a Cobb house and I live here and 
what am I going to do? And so my response would be basically, uh, until there is a Cobb code, uh, if you're in any place where there's uh, permits required, your options are very limited. And you can either build through the uh, alternate materials and methods procedure, which requires engineering and architectural drawings and the attendant expenses and a, a period of needing to educate your building department as to what you want to do is, is actually meets the intent of the code. It's a big, long, drawn-out process and requires resources and patience. And this would basically pretty much go away once the IRC Cobb construction appendix is approved and adopted, because at that point, anybody that's in a jurisdiction, a location that requires building permits would be able to go in and say that I want to build a Cobb building and here's the code I'm going to use. And that would actually make it quite possible for them to then build in their location, which now does not happen and why is this important is because it it means that cob buildings will get built whereas now they get stopped except for people who are willing to build outside the uh, the code realm and basically we call that outlaw building and all the attendant problems with that we've just discussed earlier as far as lack of standards uh improper building, poor building. Um, so these are all things that the code is aimed at solving. That's why it's really important. And, and Oliver, this is Martin. Uh, yeah, John outlined the many good reasons for um, specific to Cobb why it's important that this proposed appendix be approved. And I, I, I want to also add uh, some some broader reasons for, uh, for anyone who is interested in what are sometimes called natural building methods and environmentally responsible ways of building more that are that are more responsible than conventional ways of building the Cobb code proposal is important because this by getting Cobb into the the building code it will pave the way for other natural building systems to follow, including especially other earthen building systems such as Adobe. Well, Adobe is already in the International Building Code, but there's even, even there, there's struggles to correct a lot of deficiencies in that. Um, but Adobe more broadly, rammed earth, earth bag, compressed earth blocks, all those earthen building systems and other natural building systems. Uh, it, uh, I along with others managed to get straw bale construction as an appendix to the International Residential Code about six years ago. And that helped pave the way for straw clay to enter the, the building code. Um, so they, they all help each other. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's important for that reason, for, the, for, well, for that reason alone. Uh, also just, so people understand the International Residential Code, which applies to one and two family dwellings and townhouses. Um, it is the national model code for the United States. So getting, uh, uh, getting um, anything into that, uh, that code uh, has broad effect. It's used as the 
the basis for the residential code in virtually every jurisdiction in the United States. Uh, and it has, it can be used internationally as well. Marvelous. Now, I mean, this is something that I personally feel very passionate about as a natural builder who's worked uh, around different places in the United States and around the world. Like you said, this has uh, the potential to have ripple effects across the the ability to work with any kind of material, not just cob moving out towards in the future, but especially for those earthen materials that have so much potential for the the future of building in our country and all of the advantages that they bring with them, especially because they've been proven for much longer periods of time than most of the industrial materials that have come up since then. Um, now, I don't live in the United States anymore, but I definitely am going to be reaching out to a lot of natural building friends that I have in my network. Could you just remind our audience one more time what they can do to actively um, help this along and which dates are important to remember? Uh, well, to contact their local building official or fire official and make them aware of this proposal and the importance that uh, Cobb building has to them, uh, that they want it as a choice in their, uh, in their community. Uh, and they can go to uh, CRI's website, cobcode.org. Uh, and there's information there about how to uh, proceed and um, and if you want uh, you you can hand this off to CRI and we can take it from there. One more thing I need to add is is that yeah one one big really important thing that the listeners can do is to support CRI. We're hampered by funding and we have a crowdfunding campaign which has been in effect for a while and has has brought us in some of the money that we need to pay for all of the work that we're doing, but we definitely need more support. And so I encourage all the listeners who care about seeing this, this become a reality to uh, log on to uh, our website and go to the crowdfunding campaign and donate to CRI that would be incredibly appreciated and will go a long ways towards helping us cover the costs we've already incurred for this work uh, and uh, to help us pay for all of our, our needed future testing, uh, very important. So please support CRI, donate. Certainly. Well, thank you so much, John. Martin, I really appreciate the time. Anthony had to run off to another meeting, and I know that there are others uh, helping in this effort and members of the CRI that have helped to bring about this potential change that could improve the possibilities for so many people, especially owner builders like myself and others who are listening. So again, thank you so much for your time. Let's stay in touch. I look forward to uh, to seeing the results of this as it comes up at the end of the month and you know more advancements for owner building and alternative building practices in general. Thank you so much for making this interview possible. Very much appreciated. Thank you. All right, that wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. 
The best part is that you can search by topic rather than wading through more than 100 interviews by typing in any keyword or topic that you're looking for in the search function on the podcast page. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, to beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design philosophy, and so much more. Thank you so much to those of you who've taken the time to reach out via comments and emails. Your contributions help me to make this the conversation that it's intended to be and helps me create more of the content around the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, questions, or suggestions, be sure to send them to me at info at AbundantEdge.com, and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so I'll catch you on next week's show.